Hello and welcome back to the Miss Amanda Chen Show. I've got some new episodes for the 100 Mass Men series where we unpack what lies behind the meaning of masculinity with a hundred interviews of anonymous men from all walks of life. If you listened to the last episode with a nice guy, I found a black male advocate for mental health that provides a very polarizing perspective. This is why I'm doing this show, to hopefully provide you with enough information to make your own educated, conscious decisions. Mass man number 14 is the empowered man. We talk about what toxic masculinity looks like, what it means to have power over others, complexity of trauma responses, and how suddenly the topic of racism has become a trend over the summer and how some people have turned this into a marketing opportunity. This is an incredibly powerful conversation tackling very difficult subjects. So you know I'm all juiced up and ready to go. Let's get into it. So I would love to hear your thoughts on what you think toxic masculinity is. A lot of men that I've interviewed so far are like, oh, these are the toxic characteristics. And then I just don't hang out with guys like that. And I'm like, what do you Mm. do? Just like exile them to a box? You know, like (laughs) you have to interact with them, right? I mean, I'm a woman. So for me, like no matter what, I have to interact with all types of men. So I don't know how to like just put them over there and be like, yeah, I don't interact with them. So how do you, how would you define what toxic masculine behavior is? And how do you interact with men that have those toxic behaviors? Wow. I don't even know if I have like a standard definition, but let me think about scenarios in which I have been like, yeah, that's toxic masculinity right there. It's like a competition for who is the most terrible man. Like who can be the worst man in this circle right now? You just like see people compete. I can, I can one up you on that. It's like a dick measuring contest, right? Like, Okay, let me let me give restaurant like I yeah, restaurants are probably breeding ground for toxic masculinity, I would say. So we're in the back, it's a busy service. A an attractive woman walks in and immediately the chef is just like, So who is gonna talk to her first? And I'm like, yo, aren't we working right now? And he's like, no, like someone has to fuck her, right? And I'm just like, really? What? Is that really like someone has to? And he's like, Yeah, so who is it gonna be? And that is just like, so everyone is now talking about this attractive woman, but in a very demeaning way. And then no one feels confident enough to speak up against it. Wow. Because again, it's that competition about like, who can be the, who can be the worst man here? And if you dare speak up against this, like this band of men, this like fraternity, this normalcy, then you are less than a man. Mm. We see you as an outsider immediately. And I'm not going to say it's it's hard to speak up in those situations because again, I, I, I've always seen masculinity like this cult where at least like hegemonic toxic masculinity where it's like, it's a cult where you feel like you have to be accepted and it's your it's a privilege to be able to be part of this because it awards you certain things in society. And then you start to consider that, man, like if I, if I, speak up against this that maybe I'm losing out on sort of the things that it awards me in in society right like being able to quote unquote like take control of of a of a woman's like agency Mm. things like that it's like okay well like that's power you 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 feel bad if you if you look at the man next to you and you're not agreeing with him it teaches people that they can't be individuals like that's that's heavily toxic then people grow up and 
don't feel like they have a voice against injustice, right? Like that's extremely toxic right there. That's 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 been my experience of toxic masculinity. I think it, it pushes people to do things that they don't agree with. It affords them certain passes in society and that they can't lose out on these things also leads to a culture of silence. Yeah, for sure. Like everyone just wants to fit in and you want to be accepted. And, yes, yes. And then what are you going to compromise for that mm, like even the idea of compromise like it's not a compromise like I, I feel like that's one thing people also need to understand or at least men understand, right like you're not compromising anything you're potentially saving a life <laughs> you know like again mm. it's in some situations it's a life or death thing if you don't speak up and it might be you it might be your life you're saving if you decide that I want to be my individual self and I want to speak up against the things that like I believe in this manliness thing doesn't serve me anymore. I want to be able to be vulnerable so that one day, like I'm not carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders and like it becomes too heavy to carry. Yeah, it's it, again, it might be your life that you're saving by speaking up on it. You didn't say anything, you know, and you kind of half participated in this kind of toxic conversation. Mm-hmm. And then you go home mm-hmm. or you, you go out after whatever. How do you interact with other people? Because now you've, you've had this like, internalized Mm. suppression I guess of like how you truly feel you didn't say it you you know kind of participated in the wrong movement Mm -hmm. how are you angry are you resentful like how do you continue moving on in the world and how do you interact with others it's again I think it's another level of dissonance where I'm like damn like I probably should have said something like a lot of guilt, right? Um, a lot, a lot, a lot of guilt towards those things. For me, and this might be like a, a trauma response to, you know, when you feel like you don't have the power to change things where you sort of like, you know, that fight or flight thing, mm-hmm. but there's like fawn and freeze where fawning is just like putting yourself in a corner, trying to appease the other people so that that's how you respond to trauma, right? As you can't, you're not fighting it because you don't feel like you have the power to, you can't really run anywhere. Like you have to sit in this situation. You might freeze, you might just stay still and not react or you might fawn and like you might start like trying to appease people. Sometimes for me, like I just freeze. I don't know what to say. I don't feel like my voice might be heard in those situations, especially where it might be like a group of like five or six other people are all speaking on the same thing on the same wavelength. It sucks. Again, like being able to realize that, yeah, man, you do actually have the power to speak up against this. It might be hard. You know, people will be like, oh, there's one person who doesn't agree. And if they don't listen, man, like you can just bounce. <laughs> like you can like leave that situation. You don't need to be friends with those people. But then again, you leave and you, you carry that guilt because you know that's not the kind of person you want to be. And you're like, damn, I know like that's a tough situation to be in, but like, don't I believe that I can speak up? How strong of a man am I if I'm not consistent in that way? In one situation, I feel like my voice is powerful. I feel like I can speak up. In another, I don't feel like I have that. And it's confusing. Yeah. It's, again, it, you know, incites some guilt in me. And sometimes, man, I just like, I just shut up. Like, I'm just like, man, you know, I'm not contributing this, to this conversation. I may not be able to speak up, but right now I'm choosing not to contribute. It's not where I want to be but I believe like that's where I'm at right now yeah it's that that inconsistency and I think Mm. that that inconsistency makes you feel inauthentic you know like you're confused as as who you are and I think it's interesting to mention the fawn or freeze Mm. I kind of think that's that has to do with the people of color thing 
Mm. I think a lot of us would feel like we can't say things in certain circles. Yes. And we feel more comfortable in other circles when there's representation yes. there. Yes, yes, yes. Again, trauma, right? Like mm-hmm. people of color have experienced so much trauma in our lives that like we've had to, you know, we've had to just ex- unfortunately accept certain situations that, you know what, maybe I can't fight this fight this way that I have for my own safety. You probably tried to speak up before and your safety was threatened or taken away from you. And unless you have the support of a massive community behind you, when it's just one person, that's a hard thing to, it's a hard thing to weigh where it's like, think about like if you're in a in your office for example and there's like microaggressions there's obviously racism happening and you speak up and then you get fired it's like damn I lost my livelihood mm-hmm. and so in the next job I may decide to just freeze and I don't speak up against these things because I then have to think about men I might lose my job because I lost it the last time trauma has taught you that if you speak up your your safety is taken away from you your your backbone is completely destroyed Whereas if you have the support of other people, you know, in that organization, allies or other people of color who stick with you, think about the Black Lives Matter movement. People felt like their voices could be heard because it was part of a much louder voice, yeah. right? Like, it's like, okay, now everyone can hear us, right? Like everyone is seeing this. I can speak up and you can't fire me with people of color. That like freeze or fawn thing is, is, is a, it's a survival thing, man. Like if we go back to the concept of masculinity, it's like, I have to survive within this tribe of men. And so I am not going to speak up. It's interesting in the workspace. I think I'm really quick to speak up mm. and I've been fired in so many jobs that mm. At this point, I'm like, I can guess I just got fired again. And I almost see it as a process as part of just <laughs> me being myself. But right. I think my biggest problem is one-on-one interactions mm. with men. Because okay. I think as women, we've been conditioned from a very long time that if we disobey men, you know, mm-hmm. like Adam and Eve, you know, if you disobey mm. men, then you get punished. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, that it's it's more that that I'm fearful of like oh mm. if I if I don't obey this man and like mm. please him in this way yes. I will be punished what for whatever the punishment means so it's not even about like mm. oh am I living this life that you know isn't of of the right values for me it's kind of like mm-hmm. well I just can't live at all like I'll just be mm. punished or like condemned you know yeah yeah and I really appreciate you saying that and it's one of those things that you hear as as a man and you're like oh shit like I didn't realize that's what it felt like and people are like yeah man that's what we've been trying to tell you all this <laughs> while right you, yeah you didn't realize it was like a life or death thing women in certain situations have died for speaking up like have been murdered have been yeah. killed have everything taken away from them because they decided to speak up right and so in some situations especially with abuse right like people say well why don't you speak up why don't you leave things like that come on have you not seen the stories have you not seen real life situations where people have spoken up and obviously in some cases you leave and things are you know you don't die but there's tons of cases where you do die for trying to leave and so it's like okay I might accept this terrible situation because at least I'm alive at least I'm not getting a worse punishment this is terrible but it could be worse and I'd rather stay with this shitty situation it's one thing to hear it. It's one thing to understand it. And oftentimes, I don't think men understand it. 
Well, I think because men or just all, everybody is just going to think about themselves and be like, well, mm. I, would nev- I would never hurt you. I, w- I would oh. never. Yeah, it's, like, it's not about you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And yeah. then even if you would never, I actually don't know that. What if I mm. pissed mm. you off enough or like mm. said something, right? Because I don't. I think one of the sort of changes that I, I've seen are women showing up for other women when they feel like they don't have any other options. It's like, no, 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 no. You do have options and I can be one of your options. You might lose this man, but that's not the end of the world. It's seeing women being aware of that power is is threatening to men. And I'll say that, like, honestly, as a man, you feel threatened when you see a woman become aware of her power and accept that power. Because it then means the things that you've been told that you can do to manipulate, to keep women with you, things like that, won't work anymore. Even just think about like in society, women will stay with men for financial reasons. Well, this man has a great job. He's making good money. I'll stay with him because at least I'm safe. I'm getting those resources. Mm-hmm. But if, or, okay, no, this man, you know, we have sex, we have a, a child in this life. I am supposed to be the person that brings kids into the world. But it's like, you know what? Maybe I have other options with that. I don't need this man. Or, I'm making good money and I don't need this man's resources. So I don't have to take his shit. And then as a man, you're like, damn, okay. So the two things I've been taught to give yeah. dick and money don't <laughs> work anymore. I, these, I can't just use this to control women anymore. And you're like, okay, now I have to think about how I show up in this world differently. And as I think about what it is that I, I bring to the table, I have to bring safety now. Safety is invaluable. If you show a woman that she can be safe around you, like, you know, finances, things like that are important. A woman can be safe without you now. And that's great. So what else are you bringing? Like women showing up for other women, realizing their power, accepting that power and being badass with it. It's like, again, it's threatening to men. It's threatening to masculinity as a cult, but you know, men will be all right. You just have to change yourselves now you have to change your tactics you have to change how you show up and again challenges your identity challenges who you think you are but that's life man like it's no one needs to die because you need to be the worst man in the world you know that's not cool it doesn't need it shouldn't be happening yeah it's it's interesting how like power and control is like equated to dominating people or you Mm -hmm. know like removing their their agency humanity and yeah humanity yeah yeah right like why why is that your definition of power why are you only powerful when you're taking away someone else's power that's like that's like the foundation of oppression that's Mm -hmm. why people hold on to power for so long like people like presidents you know heads of states governors things like that they're only holding on to these positions because at least they can oppress people. Like, like, it's like, damn, okay, at least like the only way that I can be powerful, but it's like, you can do these in other ways. That's why men are so afraid to let go of these things. That's why it's hard to speak up in certain situations. That's why some white people are unwilling to look at racism and face it for what it is because it challenges their own power in society. I feel like the definition of power and what that means to people needs to be challenged. People need to realize that you can be, you can have power, you can have influence without oppressing someone else, right? Like there's, there's a different way we can do this. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Power is like conceived as being on top of someone else, you know, Mm, the the way to define power is 
a control over another group of people, yes. right? Yes. Whereas yes. if you think of power within yourself, hmm. that would just be hmm. control of you and control Ooh. of your actions. Yes. And be empowered. And yes. So it's funny because like when I started coaching, I would talk about like power positioning, which is like, you know, just how to mm. position yourself in a, in a powerful manner to get the mm -hmm. job or whatever. And then I switched it to empowered positioning because mm. have the power already. You just have to communicate wow. that power. Ooh. And it's interesting how that changes the script. Once you think that the power is within you and mm. nothing can touch you anymore. Yeah. That is also a lifelong lesson, right? Like. <laughs> Yeah. That is a that is again because it's a it's an undoing of so many learned behaviors that takes time. It's painful, right? Like it again, it's it'll it'll rock your world, but then you get to this place where you're like, damn, I am empowered to be the person that I actually want to be. And this is a great feeling. There's this um there's an interview with Nikki Giovanni and James Baldwin where they're talking about James Baldwin, you know, back then. You know, a man and his family, a man is going to work, a black man is going to work in, in a white company, for example, and he has to show up and be this like super positive person so that he's seen as less threatening. And then he comes back home and he's exhausted. He can't really give his full self to his family. And, you know, they're asking, so why, why is it that way? And it's like, man, because I have to provide, you know, I need to do this for my family. What if I lose my job? It's like, that's just how it is. That's the system. And Nikki Giovanni goes, well, you know what? You are man enough to work out a new system. Mm -hmm. If that doesn't work for you, then work out a new system because this is not working for me either. And that is one thing I needed to hear. It's like, yo, you have the power. It's in you to change this system. If it's not working for you, if you feel like you only have to freeze or fawn, that sucks. I get it. But it, again, it might be a life or death situation for you. And you do, I want people to know in any situation, man, like you have the power to work out a new system. And we know the things that don't serve us. We know the things that aren't working anymore. It sucks that some in some in some situations you feel like you have no options. And I have all the compassion for that. I will not even try and say that everyone has that option. But when you do, like I, I need people to know that you have the power to work out a new system. How has it been connecting with people now? Because I think we have to be a lot more intentional these days. Before mm. it was kind of just like, you can meet anybody anywhere. Right, right, right. That's, that's, that's facts. And, you know, it's it, one of the things that has stuck out to me is how much more intimate these connections end up becoming because you're not meeting outside in public places. You're typically like, maybe after talking to someone for a couple of weeks, you meet at their home because what else can you do right now um, or go for a walk or something but then it also requires you to you know decide well if this is something that I want to pursue um, a little bit more seriously you know you have to be safe things like that you want to get to know the person a little bit more so that has sort of been my shift I guess being much more selective <laughs> if that's mm. that's the right word um, thinking about what it is I want out of it, like doing like a cost benefit kind of thing. Just like, is it, is it worth, you know, putting this amount of effort into it, especially during these times? Yeah. It's just, there's, there seems to be a lot more considerations around that about how you meet people, where you meet people, just, just disclosing safety, you know, again, even letting people know that you may have come in contact with someone with who may have tested positive things like that. Right. There's a lot of disclosure involved as well.
Yeah. Interesting how much we used to just settle for like mm-hmm. any mm-hmm. opportunity that came yes. and then yes. also settle for like not talking about a lot of important things. Yes. hundred percent. Not talking about a lot of important things. That is, that is one of the things that I'm doing like 10 times, mm-hmm. <laughs> 10 times more right now. Right. Like just like you got to state what's in your mind, right? Like you're thinking about it, right. It's probably important to say with regards to the situation. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I think that's really interesting how much we kind of held back from mm. saying what, what matters to us. So mm-hmm. working in like the mental health space and being a, a man, you know, what has been the biggest challenges that you faced among your peers and, and kind of getting into those more vulnerable discussions? It's, it's interesting because on, on a grander scale, I am this person who you know, is a mental health advocate, talks about these things on different platforms. And like, that's, that's fantastic. But I still often struggle with shame and being able to talk about these things, even in my most intimate circles, right? Like I try to create that atmosphere where me and my like guy friends feel comfortable enough talking about the things that we're scared to talk about in in other spaces with each other. But sometimes it's still hard because I think like masculinity runs very deep and as much as we're trying to like combat that, it's still overarching. And I, I think even much more recently, there was just, I was, I was struggling with, with some things and I didn't feel like I could tell any of my male friends because I was ashamed. I was like, obviously they're just going to be like, nah, just like get over it. It was such a, a, a weird period because I, I felt this like dissonance mm-hmm. where it's, it's like, well, but you are this person who talks about these things so openly why is it so hard to then open up to your friend in an intimate scenario why why are you afraid to talk to your guy friends um so that was something that I, I definitely had to challenge finding the balance between being this like outwardly vulnerable person and also like practicing that daily right being open to you know whatever the responses from my friends and oftentimes it's much worse in my head than I imagine it's going to be and thankfully, that was the situation. Thankfully, like these people know how to show up for me. And I just needed to ask for that. But again, the asking as a guy is not the easiest thing. What was your your childhood like? And would you say that, that there was anything growing up that kind of created that anxiety for you of like, you can't ask for help? Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. Um, I was never the most emotional or expressive person going up and um my 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 family would would will tell you that too um it's funny i think a, a lot of the times i just like pretended that i like i didn't feel anything mm-hmm. um obviously like happiness those things like are so like socially acceptable to show <laughs> um but like sadness you know love things like that were the things that i didn't understand for the longest time and didn't understand how I was supposed to feel those things and to express them. So it definitely took me a while to be able to to feel comfortable talking about them, to feel comfortable letting people know that I was struggling or that like I was ashamed or or what have you, or that I was anxious and things like that. So fast forward to, you know, grown up for me now still deals with that in in some ways. And obviously the journey I've taken with my own mental health recovery, with my work and things like that have been part of me sort of opening up. But, you know, that I think the inner child still lives, still struggles with that a little bit. And just again, just being like asking for help, 
like I think I, I grew up believing that I should be the one people depend on and I shouldn't depend on anyone kind of thing and you know form this personality or idea of myself where I'm the one who helps people through their problems which again reflects in my work that's great but the flip side of that coin is that like when like you know I, I heard someone ask like you know who helps the helper kind of thing you're you're depending you're being that person for everyone to depend on but who do you depend on mm-hmm. um, there's sometimes where it's it's too loud in your head to, to have like the best positive self-talk where typically I might be able to do that in some situations but there's times where you need to hear someone else's voice speak some positive words to you and you can only get that if you ask, right? People may not know that you need to hear these things, but you need to let them know that, hey man, I can't do this for myself right now. Can you do this for me? We're so like afraid of role reversal, you know, like your your role is the helper. So like, mm, you know, mm, now you're the helpy. Mm, How does that mm, work? Mm. I, I think it's it's more the fear of like feeling useless. You know what I mean? Like mm. that, you put yourself into that role, whether, you know, your role is the provider or the the, the helper or whatever it is. And then if you're suddenly not doing that role or mm-hmm. you you need that service instead, like why do you feel useless from that? Because shouldn't it just be normal to <laughs> to kind of have those opportunities flipped on you? Because you, you know you're mm. hum, you're human. Yeah, yeah. You're I mean, I think easier said than done. I think it's an identity thing. Mm-hmm. I think no one likes their identity being challenged or who they, they've envisioned themselves to be, how they've been moving around in this world. Any opportunity that challenges that, I think causes like inner turmoil. And I don't think that we're super prepared for that at all times. <laughs> because <laughs> because it, could, it could definitely rock your world. I have, I have experienced that. And not in a, in a positive way. It doesn't rock your world in a positive way. <laughs> so yeah, it's, I, I 100% think it's an identity thing. The age of what? 25 you feel like you've established yourself in this world you know who you are you know how you position yourself in relationships at work things like that and then a a situation happens that again shows you that maybe this identity might need to be a little bit malleable and if you are the kind of person who isn't ready for that it's it's tough you know like me realizing that I can't be 100% everyone's strong friend all the time was like shit man like then who am I what what does this say about the work that I do does this mean I am a fraud does this mean that like I can't do the work still but no I can still do the work I can still be a strong friend but sometimes that role needs to flip and it's like there's nothing wrong with that as well I think it's it's nice to hear that there's nothing wrong with flipping the roles sometimes that like man it's might be a matter of survival even because if you sit with, you know, this rigid idea of who you are and you are unwilling to look at it any other way, it could really like have like adverse effects on your life, unfortunately, and like your mental health. What does what does being the strong friend mean? Like, how would you define that? <laughs> it's almost unhealthy. Like uh-huh. <laughs> it's I would describe it as always being there for people and oftentimes not having boundaries with how you show up for people like not having healthy boundaries around how you show up for people you know everyone knows that I can come to me to talk about these things he knows how to handle these things and like that's great it's good that I know how to handle these things but I need to have boundaries as to you know well I don't think I can talk right now kind of thing like you know I I can't be the only one for you mm-hmm. unfortunately like that's 
not saying I'm not your friend, but I need to be able to also let you know when I might be struggling, right? But yeah, being that strong friend is like, yo, we know that we can count on 100%, regardless of the situation. He'll he'll say yes, right? Mm, Okay, so I think that's interesting because like, yeah, I think that's a dependable person that Mm. has no boundaries, but yet I think a strong person has boundaries and a strong person is vulnerable and that's powerful you know yes yes. i think i think with women we Mm. we we associate being a strong woman differently like it's not about Mm. it's not about strength it's about like resilience you know Mm. Mm. yeah it's kind of like yeah she like fried her heart out and then got up and like continued Mm. on you know it wasn't Mm. about like Mm -hmm. fighting or being physically strong or anything like that so right right no, you're 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 right though. I I I think there are two definitions of that strong friend. I I don't know. I, I don't know if that your definition is widely accepted. If people realize that being that strong friend means having healthy boundaries, I I, I feel like if you ask again, I might be assuming, and this is might be my bias, but I feel like if you ask if a, a couple more people, and you know, like who is the strong friend in your group, describe this person. Probably, yeah, we can always go to this person for help. Yeah, at any point in time. And I wonder if that person realizes that like people depending on them on all, all the time might mean that like they don't people don't expect them to have boundaries around that. Again, I might be assuming and you know, this might be my bias, but I'm really curious because I I don't think I've ever heard anyone describe the strong friend as someone with healthy boundaries. But I love that that's your your definition. Yeah, I think. I see a lot of busy people or like Mm, kind of mm. superhuman type people that, you know, want to help others all the time or be there for everyone, like no matter what. But I think that is a projection of needing to feel the external Mm. validation of Mm -hmm. other people appreciating them. Yes, 100%. And you can't survive off of that validation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't you know someday one day it won't be there and what happens then who are you if people aren't validating you that way yeah um, so I would love to hear what your thoughts are on just like over the summer and you know the Black Lives Matter movement and people needing to get validation for either supporting or not supporting movements mm, through mm-hmm. social media where was mm. your take on that Wow. You know, I'm a huge, huge advocate of doing the work, but I understand that some people need to feel some sort of, like get some sort of feedback for the work that they're doing. You know, I, I get that everybody needs some sort of validation, but when the primary reason for you doing that work is just to constantly receive feedback, then like you might have lost the plot. Everyone is on the streets, everyone is online, everyone is in their small circles protesting, speaking up, things like that for systemic change. And you're out here fighting for validation, that, that's an issue, right? <laughs> like, you know, yeah. I, I don't need to give you a pat on the back for speaking up against racism. That's a life or death issue for some people. So it, it, it makes no sense, right? Like if you're doing the, the work within your non-POC circle um, in order to educate people, in order to, you know, see some change to, you know, have people treat people better, then fantastic. That's great. But if like you only do it when people are watching 
or only mm-hmm. do it so that people watch then like yeah i don't i don't respect that i mean at the end of the day some people might say like it's a means to an end right like if it still gets the work done great but you know if we then stop showing the protest online if we're not covering this anymore are you still doing the work or are you only doing it because it's like headlines right now and that's a i feel i feel like that's that's where my stance is again it's a it's a lifelong fight for the black community it's a lifelong fight for people who have lost friends and family because of racism i feel like people need to respect that people need to understand that you don't need validation for this please do the work because you believe the world should be better not because you want a pat on the back yeah absolutely i think it's crazy how much people are focused on just working rather Mm. than just the work itself Mm -hmm. you know just Mm -hmm. like business as usual this is happening Mm. you know it's all just appearances it's i think it's like a safety measure you know what i mean Mm. because no one wants to be judged or like be seen that they're doing something incorrectly right right that's true i mean no one wants to be judged or seen that they're doing things incorrectly are you saying that with regards to getting that validation and that feedback yeah I mean, yeah, yeah, hundred percent, right? Like, you want to be able to say, okay, yeah, like I'm doing this thing right, especially for people who are having this conversation for the first time, mm-hmm. you know, like who they want to be able to hear. And again, like, valid, nothing wrong with validation. Everyone needs some sort of validation, but like, is that the primary reason why you're doing it? If you receive feedback once that, yeah, okay, cool, you're doing this right. Like, are you gonna just keep coming back just for that like dopamine hit? Okay, I yeah. need to hear it again. Like, I need to hear it again. I need to hear it again. Yeah, like fam, like I don't, I don't 100% agree with that, right? You may need to then distance yourself from the work a little bit and like realize or like assess your main motivation for doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, I don't know what it, what the experience was like for you, but mm. you know, obviously there was more opportunity for mm-hmm. people of color in general because mm-hmm. there was a lens on it, but right. I, I didn't appreciate that it was fear-based, you know, it's like, oh, we, we got to yes. choose this person. Yes. Right. But yes. what I experienced was it was very opportunistic. So I had mm-hmm. people saying like, oh, are you going to take advantage of the situation? Cause you're ethnic. Mm. And I was like, that's not the mm. point. Like you totally mm. missed the whole point. Mm. So how was yeah. your experience? Like, cause that was what happened to me. I was like, I'm not mm. taking this as like a one-up. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like taking advantage. It's like it's like a marketing like yeah. campaign, right? Like this is the time you need to. It's not a trend. Exactly, racism is not a trend kind of thing. I understand marketing campaigns, tech things like that. Anyone who is designing or developing for the future, they need to look at you know what people are paying attention to right now. Like, okay, cool. Then maybe we need to tap into this. Fantastic. It works for you. It leads to sales. I'm with that. But you can't do that with human rights issues. I'm not going to, you know, say, well, racism is in right now. Racism has been in, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, that's, that's not a thing that just popped up in 2020 on your timelines because you just decided to look at it today. Yeah, that opportunistic sort of angle is, is disgusting. <laughs> like, yeah. I, it's terrible. I saw an ad a couple of days ago online for Crest, like the toothpaste. Mm-hmm. And it said Black Lives Matter but so do like white smiles. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, it's like, who okayed this? How is this printed? And then I was like, okay, fair enough. Uh You guys are still about this. Um, Cool. Right. Like that is the definition of opportunistic and like disgusting. That's, it's terrible. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. 
social media managers are definitely sweating right now. Yeah, I don't get it, man. Like, I'm just like, I thought you guys were smart. <laughs> like, why did you, like, this is not intelligent at all. Like, uh, yeah, like, I don't, I, I, I really wish I was in some of these rooms when these decisions were being made. Man, you really think like that? Like, oh, wow. Like, I, I don't know what to say, right? Like, I, I'm shocked. I'm sort of just like flabbergasted. But again, like every, everyone does, I guess, is entitled to that. And in some way, like I need to have some sort of empathy and compassion towards those things. But it's still very shocking. And I think it's like even more dangerous now because you see people exercising free will as like um, a marketing campaign, you know, like some people like, I forgot which one it was, but you know, when restaurant owners, like one restaurant owner just like decided, fuck COVID, I'm just gonna like keep my restaurant yeah, open. Like a publicity yeah, thing, right? Yeah, that guy was not doing things right. <laughs> <laughs> that guy was not doing things right at all. And funny enough, that's a place I've always wanted to try. Because like, <laughs> I love barbecue, right? Like it's great food. And now I will never go. Yeah. Like, it's. I was like, man, like you're ruining this for the rest of the industry. I know how hard the food industry has been hit. It's not funny at all. Like restaurants are pivoting to meal packages. That entire experience of indoor dining isn't here right now and it sucks. Mm -hmm. But like you're putting yourself, you're putting your business, you're putting your staff at risk by this like marketing campaign that you're doing by this like, I want to open up and... I don't believe the government and all of these things. And fair enough, man. Like, I don't get why massive grocery stores are open and people are like, we can stuff people in there, but indoor dining can't happen or even patio, heated patio dining can't happen right now. Like, I don't understand the decision-making, but you're putting your staff at risk. Maybe these people have now lost their jobs because you've been fined. Think it through, man. Like, think about the impact of your decisions on people's lives. It's not just about you. And I feel like, especially more so than ever, we really have to consider how our decisions are affecting people in our circles, people outside our circles, people who don't have the experiences that we have. With COVID, without COVID, you think about, again, going back to the Black Lives Matter movement, you think people might become a little bit more conscious of how their thought patterns, their behaviors, their, like, their free will affects the lives and freedom of other people but um yeah i think it's it's shocking to see that maybe we're not even there yet mm -hmm. yeah like not even close it's crazy <laughs> not at all <laughs> i i want to wrap up with a couple questions the first question is what toxic characteristic did you have that you learned about that you're going to change next year next year ooh um i would yeah i wasn't very good at choosing myself yeah was not very good at choosing myself and i think i learned that the hard way this year um so that's definitely something that i'm i 2021 will be addressing heavily <laughs> <laughs> he has to he doesn't have a choice anymore <laughs> yeah there's no going back now <laughs> there's, there's no going back we know the problem and now we either like keep on repeating it or we fix it yeah absolutely what negative ideas do your female friends have about themselves that you wish could change? Ooh, that they always have to apologize. You know, I see that with some of my friends, family members, where it's like, they're always just apologizing. I'm like, no, 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 please don't. Like, don't consider yourself, pick yourself, right? Like you made a, made a mistake, whatever, that's cool. But constantly apologizing 
and putting yourself in a position where sort of like you're dependent on someone else's forgiveness of you, like your self-worth or your identity is dependent on someone else's forgiveness of you is not healthy. And I don't think that is a sustainable way to look at yourself. So that's one thing I would want my, and it, I, I've, a lot of my female friends aren't even like that. A couple of people I know specifically, obviously not name names, <laughs> but yeah, I would, I would love that. Last question for you, out of all the topics we talked about today, what resonated with you the most that you would like to invite another man to elaborate on further in another mm. episode on the show? Mm-hmm. I think it would be the concept of power. I want to see how other men think about power within society, within themselves, within relationships, things like that work. Um, yeah. yeah. So if, you want, if you want to take that forward, please yeah. do. I'll, I will listen. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'll definitely think about that. That's a, that's a good one. Well, thank you so much for this. Um, thank you. Yeah, it's been an awesome chat. It was really good. Challenge accepted. Let's talk about men and power. If you are or know of anyone that would like to speak on this subject, let me know at Miss Amanda Chan on Instagram. I'll catch you next Wednesday with some more episodes of 100 Masked Men. Bye for now.